Welcome to the Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Glad to have you back with the Bible in Our Culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson of Liberty Remnant Church, and today we've got a very distinguished guest, Brian Haywood from Let's Go Washington. He lives on the wet side of the state. He is here again, back from last week where we introduced the six initiatives, and we're gonna dive into some history and go into greater detail about each issue. If you missed it, you can catch it where you find your podcasts or at libertyremnantchurch.org. Brian, would you welcome the people and tell them a bit about yourself? You bet. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, and thanks to all your listeners for giving us a a few moments of their time. Uh, My name is Brian Haywood. I live in Redmond. Uh, I moved here from the very dry state of Arizona, so I feel much more comfortable ah, in the in the uh, east side of the state than the west side, but, but I live in the west side uh, and love this beautiful state. I moved here about 13 years ago from California, actually. I also uh, spent about 13 years living in Japan oh, wow. uh, and speak Japanese fairly fluently. So I run a uh, part of what brought us here from California. Uh, I run a Japanese hedge fund. And we invest in Japanese companies and try to get them to be better, I guess is how I would say it. We were set up in California, living in Carmel Valley, uh, Monterey area, which is not a particularly ugly part of the world. Culture, laws, and economics sort of drove us out of California. I, I, I joke sometimes that I'm an economic refugee from California. Moved up here 13 years ago, brought my whole company with me, 50 families, Um, And we moved over to the west side and uh, love the state and have been here since then. Uh, And then, and and at the time, Seattle was this incredibly beautiful city. You were were proud to take your family and friends there when they would come into town. and, And date night with my wife meant we were going into Seattle to have some really good food and um, go across the water. And it's just this beautiful place. And then over the last 10 years, and in particular last three to four years, mm-hmm. there's been this rapid, aggressive movement that seems to be hostile to common sense, let's yeah. say, right? That might be one way to put it. Whether it's crime or drugs or uh, even the economics that make Washington such a prosperous place have been under attack by a mindset that I think is very dangerous that I saw in California. Mm-hmm. And it's led to some negative effects for California, and it's coming here in rapid fashion. And so I decided I needed to be involved and do something, and you can only move so many times. And I guess I could I could move again, but I've decided not to, to, to sort of stay and fight. Stay and will, fight. Right? And so uh, I started last year, I started a... Uh, a group called Let's Go Washington. And we decided we were going to do 11 initiatives, which is just a crazy number. If you've, if anybody's seen Spinal Tap, you know, this amplifier goes all the way to 11. It was kind okay. of the idea. So why do one or two or 10? We're going all the way to 11 was, was the idea. And really, I was testing out the system. I was seeing, can we get these initiatives done just with volunteers? And the answer is no, frankly, right? We, we got about close to 100,000 signatures last year on each of the 11 initiatives. So while I got a million signatures, I only had about 100,000 people that signed it. 
And that told me a lot. You can't do this just with volunteers. We don't have a structure strong enough in the state yet to mobilize that many people. And frankly, you've got to get, for the for the initiative process, we can talk about that more maybe in a, in a few minutes, but you need 400, roughly 400,000 people to sign each initiative for it to qualify. Well, 400,000, that's like 5%, a little over 5% of the state voters. That's a lot of people, and it's a higher hurdle than in some states. Hmm. So that was all a learning process last year. And we didn't qualify them last year. A lot of people, a tremendous effort by volunteers doing heroic things on Christmas Eve even, right, trying oh, wow. to get, them, get us over the... And we just weren't there. And the other thing with an all-volunteer group is that I didn't know... I'm sort of jumping ahead in a way on the story, but I didn't know at any given time how many signatures I actually had because they were distributed all over the state and I needed people to turn them in. And so what happens is around, you know, sometime in December, you start getting these initiatives turned in and then you start to see your numbers, right? And we had printed enough. We needed 400,000. I had printed enough for like 1.2 million signatures per initiative. So I had a lot of them out in the state to get signed. And I thought for sure we were a lot closer than we were. When it all came back in and it was all said and done, we only had 100,000. And I was pretty discouraged uh, and, and thought, yeah. well, you know, uh, hooey on this. Maybe I've just wasted time. And it was all my money. So um, even though we did it with volunteers, I still spent quite a bit of coin to uh, see if we could make this happen. And then the legislature just kept doing what it does, which is more stupid things, right? They barely passed a change with the drug law because that was one of the ones that we were going after. If you remember, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that in this state, you if you have drugs on you, if the police stopped you and you had drugs on you, and you claimed to the police, I don't know how they got there, they wow. the police had to let you go, right? Um, the Supreme Court ruled in a, in a most stunning way they said, well, not only are we going to say that they have to let you go, but we're going to say that the entire illegal drug law is invalidated because you don't have this clause in there that says knowingly, right? That And so for so somebody a, gets caught with drugs, they say, well, I some, didn't know. Somebody else put them in my yes, pants this yes, morning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Well, and, and because it didn't even have that clause, the Supreme Court threw the whole thing out. So for a period of time, it was theoretically legal in in Washington state to do whatever whatever drugs it was sort of in this this limbo and they put it back to the legislator legislature to fix it so the legislature dilly-dallied around didn't do anything they made it a misdemeanor and we're, we're diving in deep here suddenly I know you asked me a question I'm suddenly I'm into the deep weeds of this and that we're not doing that one this year but what they did when when they made it a misdemeanor, we have something in this state that I think is actually really good because I don't think it's a good thing for a state to have a huge population of incarcerated drug users and and people with bad records because of simply of, of drugs, right? There's a if, if someone has the unfortunate experience of becoming addicted to drugs through whatever means, their own or, or otherwise, it's a, it's a beast. I, I, you watch oh, yeah. people that are addicted and it's not something you easily shake off, right? right. This is a monster on people's backs. So the, the state actually has programs that said if with a felony, right, this came with a felony. So it used to be possession of fentanyl or uh, heroin or crack or any of those, the hard drugs, the class one drugs. If you were, had possession of those and you got busted, 
it was a felony offense. And with a felony, usually that's at least a year time in prison. And so the state then had designed something I agree with, which was if you're if it's just a drug uh, charge, right? No, no other crime, no violence or no robbery or something like that. You you got caught with the drugs. The judge could say to you, if you'll go into this rehabilitation program, then we'll drop the felony, right? If you go in and complete it, well, it'll be whatever it is, three or six months or something like that. Instead of doing a year's time in prison, you can go into this drug rehab program and you'll come out with a clean record, right? And that seems, in in my mind, a very Christian sort of ideal that says people can repent and become better and let's don't destroy their lives because they were on this thing. And it was a, a motivation for people to get help, right? And if you talk to any families or of drug abuse uh, victims or whatever we want to call them, uh, or police officers or anybody, they'll all say this is not something people voluntarily walk away from because it's such a monster on their back. And so this sort of gave people that choice. And then what the legislature did is they said, we're not going to call it a felony anymore. It's a misdemeanor, which is a couple of months in prison and you're out and, and no big deal. And it took away the incentive for people to get clean. So I, I thought that was a stupid thing, right? I, I thought that's dumb. It's not humane. It's not a. It's not a. It's not charitable. It's not being good to people. Like letting people right back out with no helping them fix this problem means they're going to be back in another couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So that was an example of one of the eleven, right? That that we went after. The legislature modified around it a little bit and made it a finally they made it a gross misdemeanor, which is six months to a year. And they modified it enough that this year I said I'm I'm not gonna touch that one, right? It because I gotta explain too much to people of, well, yeah, they did change it, but um, but it was this real learning experience for me to watch the whole process, to watch the legislature. Because we had the initiative out there, I believe there was pressure on the init- on the legislature to do something rather than just sit on it and ignore it. Because I think there was a lot of voices within the, the the majority caucus that were suggesting, well, there was actually a movement, if, if you remember, I don't know, there was an initiative last year by another group, obviously not me, to legalize all drugs in, in Washington state. And it failed because it was too expensive to, to get the initiative run. Wow. So looking at what the legislature did and didn't do, I went back to the drawing board, and this year we came up with six initiatives that I thought were were bipartisan enough that this is not a Republican-Democrat issue. There are things that people support. And so then I, so we came up with a list, and then I went out and I did a poll on these, on these ideas and about 15 others just to see what, what resonated and looked at hard Republicans, independents, hard Democrats, right, to see sort of what their support level was. And pretty much all of these, initi- well, all of them have... Um, Overall, they all have sort of 60 plus percent support for them from the total population. 60%? Yes. Okay. At least. Okay. Some of them had closer to 90, right? So 60 was on my low end, 90 was at the high end on the different uh, ideas. Then if we can get into some of them as we go through okay. them, but they there was an enormous amount of support for these ideas from both parties. Yeah, I would think so. I see some really crazy stuff happening in the Democrat Party lately. But if you go back to the, obviously, the John F. Kennedy 
Democrats, even the early Joe Biden Democrats, I would think from my perspective, anybody would see these as reasonable initiatives. And this being the Bible and our culture, this is a way to get a conversation with your neighbor. Maybe they're a Democrat, you're a Republican, but you can talk about these initiatives yes. and get into a conversation about why this is helpful. And I, I bet you they'll sign it. If not, you'll have a great conversation. So this is more than just getting uh, initiatives on the ballot. This is taking a stand. This is being a voice. And this can even uh, help you have important conversations with your neighbors. That's a hugely important point. Um, one of the problems I think that the Republican Party in the state has is that if you if you ask people to describe the Republican Party in general, especially on the West Side, it would come out like they're sort of homophobic, misogynistic, uh, racist, terrible people, right? That that's kind of that's not what the people are, but that's, that's the, the image PR. that's been portrayed yep. in the media, and so people can take these initiatives without having to have any conversation about party or anything and say, these are things that I believe are important. What do you think about them? Well, Wonderful. yes, right, and and go through them one by one. And as, exactly as you said, it's a great way to talk with your neighbor in a friendly, non-confrontational way. So we have about 15 minutes. Is there one of these that you'd like to hit first? Let's talk about a reasonable police pursuit. Excellent. So that's initiative 2113, reasonable police pursuit. I think some people might be asking, what do you mean, reasonable <laughs> police pursuit? Haven't you watched Chips or these other police television shows? The cops chase the bad guys. What do you mean? reasonable police pursuit? So that's actually a good question. And I, and I find just today I had some conversation with some people that did not know that the law had been changed. If the police see, uh, let, let's say that you come, you're, you're, you come home to your, your house and there's a blue pickup truck in your driveway and there are thieves hauling out your 72 inch uh, uh, Sony TV or whatever, and they're putting it in the back of the truck and you call 911 and say, hey, there's thieves in my driveway stealing my stuff. And the police come and let's say they get there uh, relatively quickly. And as the police pull up, this truck backs out, runs a red light uh, and takes off. Um, the police can put on their sirens, but if they don't slow down, this statewide law prohibits the police from pursuing. There, wow. With only a limited number of, of uh, items can police actually pursue on their own, right? Uh, otherwise, they have to get special permission. There's a list of... of oh, dear. And, it's, and it, so it used to be that police, if they had a reasonable suspicion that a crime had been committed and that the public safety was at risk, and then every department... The, the real important thing is that that the laws that govern Seattle should not be the same ones that govern Spokane or that govern Okanagan, right? Absolutely. Uh, midnight in Okanagan, uh, probably a lot less dangerous than noon or rush hour in Seattle. Yeah. And so this law said, we don't care about the regional jurisdictions. There's a blanket law across all everybody. You now may not chase except for these very specific three or four things. Interestingly, vehicle theft was not one of the reasons for them to, to pursue. So Crazy. what a criminal learned is that they could actually steal a car, right? Can't be pursued for stealing the car, number one. Go commit a crime. Now it's a stolen car, with so the license plate doesn't matter because it's going to link back to the person who lost the car, not to the criminal. Wow. They could go commit a crime and drive off in their getaway vehicle, thank you, courtesy of the Washington legislature, right? And police could not pursue. It's terrible. 
it was a ridiculous law. It was, it may have been good hearted at some point, but it was uh, no brained at, at yeah. in its implementation. Crazy. So there's a socialist mayor in Burbank, California, named Constantine Anthony, and he wants to end all policing and incarceration. He's obviously part of the defund the police movement. Is that kind of what this initiative is about? Is that led to to this? Do you think? I, I think so. I, I mean, the, the the original law was was part of the defund the police idea, and police are bad, and police make bad choices, and we shouldn't give them. You know, this is dangerous. That was the that was the progressive ideology that was pushing the law that changed. And what I'm saying is, we should give that jurisdictional authority back to the regional uh, jurisdictions. Wonderful. And it's really a simple law. It just basically says. We're going to go back to what it was before. Police reasonably suspect a crime has been committed and that there's public safety is in danger. They're allowed to pursue. And then the local Spokane can make its own rules on top of that, whatever they want. And and one of the things like you can say, well, what about rookies? And what about, well, maybe you have different rules for rookies, but that shouldn't be coming out of Olympia. Right. It should be coming out of the Spokane dispatcher, right? The Everett dispatcher, the Puyallup dispatcher. Uh, that That should be the... The, the decision maker. And we want to return that decision making authority back to the local d- jurisdictions. Absolutely. The, the best government is always the government closest to home. Amen. People in Olympia don't know how I should do my laundry in my house and my cell phone policy with my kids. They, they shouldn't make those decisions. They should be made close to home. And I think Spokane should be making their decisions. Yakima should be making their decisions. Ellensburg should be making their decisions and so on. Do you think government, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but government seems to be encouraging more crime. It seems that way, doesn't it? It does seem that way. The, one could, if all one did was look at the laws that have been passed in the last five, well, really two years, uh, there's enormous uh, change, uh, two or three years, it would seem that uh, it's encouraging crime, but maybe that wasn't their intent, right? So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. All right. Uh, if anything, I think what has happened is there is a an attempt to change the mentality that says the victims are not the victims of crime. The victims are the people committing the crimes. Right. And because the people committing the crimes are victims, we need to not arrest them. I, I think that's the mentality. I think it's incredibly wrongheaded. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's actually even charitable to those who are committing the crimes. We're, we're saying there's no consequences for your actions. Don't worry about it. It's not your fault. Do whatever you want to do. It's not your fault. It's and, society's fault. So don't yes. hold me accountable. Amen. Yeah, I was, that's right. I was born in a rough situation, which yes. I'm sure you were. And as, as a biblical worldview, we should love people and care for the, the rough situations they grew up in. But you can't blame society for an individual's decision. The Bible says the soul that sins will die, talking in Ezekiel 18, that it's not going to be the whole family that's going to be punished for one person's sin. It's going to be the person that committed the sin, the individual. Right. And I think that's a biblical worldview, and our state has wandered away from that, and we're, we're feeling uh, the consequences Absolutely. Of, of some very unwise decisions. I think, too, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, I think also in, in 1 Timothy, Paul's talking about pastors who are teaching and governing the church, and he says, hey, they should be paid is my paraphrase. He's saying, don't muzzle the ox while it plows the grain. In other words, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament times, they would want to muzzle the ox so the ox would, would, would plow the grain, not going to eat any of it. 
And they said, that's not fair. But Jesus said, or maybe it was Paul, we don't, uh, that wasn't written about oxen. That was written really about people. People. And I think that as a, as, if a pastor, if the principle is a pastor should be able to get some of the grain, don't muzzle the, the pastor. I, th- I think this, these crazy restrictions on police are, are muzzling the ox. They're saying, hey, we want you to protect us. We yes. want you to put your lives on the line, but you can't do your job. We're going to muzzle you right. so you can be forever frustrated and depressed. <laughs> that, well, and I'll tell you, frankly, uh, you, I think you have to be doubly brave to be a police officer in Washington State right now because that's exactly what's happened. If you, if you get a chance to talk off the record with police officers, what are they most concerned about? Um, I believe on an individual and a collective level, one of the big concerns they have is that there has been a significant movement to make the, instead of making the the perpetrator of the crime the bad guy, Mm -hmm. to shift all that blame and all that risk onto the police officers. And so now the police officers are saying, whoa, wait a minute, if I chase this person, if I pursue them after they've committed a crime and something happens, it's back on me because I'm trying to protect society, but I have to take all the risk. That's not fair. Not fair and, at all. and we're ab- absolutely muzzling, muzzling the oxen who are trying to keep our s- streets safe. Yep. Thank you for doing what you're doing. We've got about five minutes. Do you want to do initiative 2117, stop the hidden gas tax? That's a beautiful one. Excellent. This is a carbon tax that was in- recently implemented in the state. And I would suggest it's not, it's at least, it's at least three taxes hidden on the consumer. Uh, Jay Inslee originally said, don't worry, this won't have any effect on you, maybe pennies at the most at the pump, maybe you'll see pennies, but there won't be much impact. The think tanks all said, no, 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 this is gonna be at least 50 cents and maybe as much as a buck 50. It's gonna hit you, right? And we've seen since January, a 50 cent increase in the price of gas, making us, we, we for a while were the highest gas prices in the entire nation higher than Hawaii which is just mind-boggling to me how do we how are we higher than Hawaii Crazy. it's because of this cap and trade that we've shot up to the top and people that it's it's I don't know if in five minutes we can explain the whole thing but essentially what the government has the state government has said we're going to sell off these credits for people that pollute right so if you have something if you do one of these carbon emitting activities you have to buy credits in order to keep doing the business, right? Well, that means it's so, and of course, oil companies and, and different groups would be ones that would be the targets of this. They then have to pay, they have to buy these these credits and they're gonna pass that cost on at the pump. What, and, and as predicted by the think tanks, sure enough, when they implemented this, the price of gas rose 50 cents a gallon in Washington state. Overnight. O- almost overnight. Uh, the second thing that, the second place though that people are being taxed on the west side of the state, Puget Sound Energy just asked the uh, state for the opportunity to increase their rates by 3% because they're being impacted by increased energy costs due to cap and trade. They, they were given an approval to raise rates 3%, but they were told explicitly that they may not list as one of the reasons for it cap and trade. That seems criminal to me that they're sort of hiding this, right? Hmm. Uh, I think what they're doing is price gouging in the energy, which is what Jay Inslee's accusing the gas companies of doing. No, no, it's the state that's price gouging, and they won't give disclosure of why they're doing it. 
So that's the second way. And the third way people are paying this tax is that anytime you buy bread or milk or eggs, those all came on a truck. Most likely they came on a truck and that truck is paying way more for fuel than they did uh, before the cap and trade. And of course, they're not just eating that cost. They're going to pass it on. And so you will see an increase in your grocery bill. You see an increase in your energy bill and you see an increase in the gas pump. And if you're a hardworking a nine to five guy or, you know, whatever your hours are, maybe you got two jobs trying to help keep the family afloat. That's a huge amount of cost that's been put on you to, to suddenly support the state government. And, and I would point out two things. Number one is the money that you're paying it has no accountability. It just goes into the state coffers, at least with a gas tax, it has to be go to roads and infrastructure. But yeah, with that was this my question. Tax, it, it's got to be going to improve our beat-up roads here in eastern Washington. It's not earmarked in any way. They can spend it however they want. So in other words, it's doing nothing to help the environment. It's taxing the little guy, uh, and it's a hidden, it's a very deceptive hidden tax. My second point is that often the, the party in power right now says, well, we're for the little guy, we're for the little guy. But if this is allowed to continue, what will happen is gas prices will get so expensive that only the very rich will be allowed and able to afford cars and drive their cars, right? And I don't know what they're going to do in the meantime. There's not enough public transportation. They're going to shove everybody on a bus, but even that's, that's it, right? Bicycles and horse and buggies. Yeah. What did the socialists use before they used candles, right? They used electricity. That's the sort of, uh-huh. <laughs> I think we're go. going in that direction. So is this pressure for everybody to have their battery car? It, yeah, it is, but it's really, I think what they're trying to do is, uh, yes, ultimately. But where do they think electricity comes from, right? It's not this magical thing that isn't created by, in this state, we have dams, which the legislature is also trying to get rid of, so the hydropower goes away. They're not for nuclear power. Much electricity in the United States is still driven by coal. So we're going to use magic unicorn dust to, to give us electricity, and get rid of cars. There's, there's, it's a so ill thought out. It's punitive, and it's almost, it's almost false, false religion in its, you know, it's almost a cult that, yeah. that's going on here, right? It seems that the self righteous people today are some of these environmentalists that are are trying to fix carbon emissions and destroying people. Yes, stepping on the little guy. I, this this twenty one seventeen is the most regressive tax we've got in the state. It, it's completely and it it hurts the it hurts the average worker more than anyone else, and there's no solution provided, and the money's not even used for something that benefits them. It's the worst kind of tax you can get. Thank you, Brian Haywood, and let's go Washington for exposing this deceitful practice. We know that the, the Bible highlights the devil as the deceiver of the world, the father of lies, transforms himself into an angel of light. And when we see deceptive, hidden things, well, I think there's a spiritual world that's trying to foster it all. So we pray, but we also sign the initiatives. And we'll talk more about that next time and how maybe you can volunteer or even get paid to get these initiatives signed. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson. My guest has been Brian Haywood of Let's Go Washington. See you next time. Same time, same channel.